This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Chuck Connor next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy. And you can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. With a rich career in service to America's farmers and ranchers and both the legislative and administrative side of Washington, Chuck Cotter is well familiar with industry challenges. As president and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, Cotter recognizes pending issues that could have a dramatic impact on the future of the industry. And one of those is trade. Well, Jeff, we hang very carefully on the, the policy words of what was, who was then candidate Trump, but is now, you know, the president of the United States, and that is he has said he would like better trade arrangements, a better trade atmosphere for our manufacturing sector, and he wants to do that without hurting those areas where there's been success in exporting, particularly agriculture. And generally speaking, I think most people in America, most farmers would support that. If Trump can get a better deal for our manufacturing sector, who could be against that? But obviously the very worry here is that in that process of negotiating, even with that kind of goal in mind, you know, what is the potential of knocking the cart off the track, if you will, and, and actually doing harm to American agriculture? And I, I'm very nervous about this, Jeff. I, I think uh, we need to be careful. Obviously, this is not a time where we can afford, you know, to lose one boatload of sales to anybody, you know, across the, the planet. We're in an extreme surplus situation. We need every single market to be operating at full throttle in order to work our way through this surplus. And I just fear <clears throat> that this notion of not harming agriculture in the process of trying to help others may be a goal that is not achievable in these kind of times. So it's something we're watching very closely. Wanting to give the president, you know, the wide berth he needs to, you know, fulfill um, what he stated clearly he wanted to do throughout the campaign. But ultimately, agriculture has got to have these markets, and we can't lose them, certainly. Chuck, I'm interested in your opinion here. When farm state legislators, uh, Senator Grassley and Senator Ernst, Senator Thune and the others saw that there might be a threat to the RFS, they went straight to the White House, and there was a meeting, and they picked up some assurances. But with regard to trade, this is critical for agriculture. Many groups have said this, but as yet, we've not seen the legislature draw a line in the sand. Is that forthcoming, or are we just being patient for a period of time? Well, I believe um, most in Congress are giving the president, you know, a fairly large amount of latitude here to, again, Jeff, achieve his stated goal, which is to say, you know, I want a better deal for the manufacturing sector where there's been some job loss, but do that without hurting agriculture. 
People are nervous about that. They were, as I have said, wondering if that's even achievable without some adverse consequences for agriculture. But at the same time, too, the instinct is, you know, the president has demonstrated that he's a pretty darn good negotiator, and if he can pull this off, let's at least give him the benefit of the doubt here to try. But everybody is very nervous and watching this closely, not only the legislators, but obviously all of the interest groups and the co-ops that I represent who know, again, that we need to be exporting every bushel and every pound that we can get our hands on in order to have any kind of farm recovery. Can the president withdraw from NAFTA or from Chorus without congressional approval? Well, um, certainly on a short-term basis, that is possible, uh, Jeff. And, and I, I think probably more you know, important to us is, is you know, not only the actual mechanics of the withdrawal, but just, you know, the message that that sends to good trading partners like Mexico and others, you know, who are buying a large amount of product and, you know, just the act of withdrawal, whether codified and ratified in our legislature or not, I think is going to have an impact and that we just, you know, we can't stand by idly while Mexico goes off and looks for, you know, other suppliers of pork, corn, corn products, I mean, you sort of name the product, there are other suppliers out there. And each time, you know, one of these trade things goes in a bad direction, the potential for them to look for alternatives to us gets greater. There's been four rounds of renegotiation for the North American Free Trade Agreement, and clearly the needs of the dairy industry, the opinion of the dairy industry with regard to NAFTA, would probably be different than some other commodity organizations. And we might also say the same for some fruit and vegetable producers out of the South. How does the National Council of Farmer Cooperative see these NAFTA negotiations, especially as it pertains to those areas? Well, for the dairy sector, Jeff, obviously they, they've got a circumstance where they're moving a lot of product now into Mexico, and, and they, they want to continue to do that without having that market harmed in any way. Canada, you know, is a different situation altogether. We never have achieved a lot of trade policy reforms with the Canadian dairy sector. This is an opportunity for us to try and get some of those reforms on the table. And I, let me just say, Jeff, there are a lot of people out there in the trade community who say, you know, impossible. You know, the Canadians are never going to budge on any of this dairy stuff. Again, I'm old enough and having been around this, and, and to some extent you remember this too, that the Canadians said the same thing about, you know, their, their wheat uh, and marketing boards from 10, 15, 20 years ago. And, of course, those wheat marketing boards and the other boards in Canada are now gone, you know, totally gone. So I, I don't – I never put these things in an impossible category because I believe the Canadians do want to be a free trade market and one that, you know, is free to move their products into other countries as well. So I'm hoping we can get some progress on dairy with the can Canadians. It's going to be tough. I, I still hold out some hope we can get that in behalf of the dairy sector. And for the co-ops that raise fruits and vegetables that might want to challenge uh, that flood that comes in from Mexico in season? Well, Jeff, I think for our members, they're pretty good at looking at the big picture here. You know, sometimes there may be short-term interests, but ultimately long-term, I believe our co-op members are looking and recognizing the fact that the growth in markets, if you want to grow as a co-op out there, that that market is international. You know, our U.S. population, as we often hear, you know, is, is not a growing market. The growth is internationally, and they recognize that, you know, in order to be 
a beneficiary of that international growth that we have to have our own markets open and treat others fairly as well. And so I believe that's a fundamental recognition that the vast majority of my members get is that we want these trade agreements, we want free trade because we want to participate in this enormous potential increase in in markets that exist in the world today. Last week, Chairman Goodlatte was successful in bringing a new guest worker proposal through the Judiciary Committee. What's your impression of that proposed H2C, and, and how do you respond to those who are speaking against a guest worker program, saying we've got plenty of Americans here that can fill those jobs, we don't need immigrant labor? Well, let me just take that latter point first, Jeff. We continue to hear this. You know, this is just a product of not being willing to hire American workers, and if we paid a little bit more, we would get you know, all the American workers we wanted. And just study after study testimonial after testimonial from individual farmers proves that that is not the case. This is not about, you know, wages. This is about Americans being willing to do this kind of work, and they're not. And we need these foreign workers in order to do those jobs that Americans will not do at virtually any price. And that has been a a principle that has been backed up again by, you know, study after study. Uh, on on you know, how people will react to this. So they, they're, they're not there. The workers are not there. We need these foreign workers and need any immigration reform proposal uh, put forward by the House or the Senate or anybody else to be mindful of agriculture's need. We don't feed America. We don't do what we do well in this country without the availability of these foreign workers. From the cooperative's perspective and from the industry perspective from where you sit, what happens if Congress kicks the can on this again here in 2017? Well, it just keeps getting tougher and tougher to get workers uh, into this country, Jeff. Um, you know, it's been a long time since we've had immigration reform legislation. You know, there's been a whole generation now grow up, you know, working on our farms and ranches that are actually kind of aging out of the system now. And, that you know, there's not a good replacement system in place. The H-2A program, which the House bill does propose to replace, you know, it's it's a very, very flawed system. And uh, particularly for smaller producers, you know, it just does not provide any uh, labor for their kinds of operations because it is so cumbersome and so over the top. You know, we, we've just got to fix that uh, guest worker program to one that is readily available for all producers in all regions of the country. And then, of course, the big, big issue is the fact that on our farms and ranches today, as much as 70% of the workers on our farms and ranches today are probably people that are not, you know, do not have proper legal status to be in this country. And you can't take away that amount of our workforce without the implications being catastrophic. And so something has to be done to deal with these workers that are already out there working on our farms and ranches, dairy farms, livestock farms, you name it. They're there. They've been there a long time. Some cases, you know, 15 or 20 years, they've been on the same farm working, but they don't have legal status. So something has to be done for that group of workers because no, no guest worker program could be large enough to replace all of those workers that are already out there on our farms and ranches.
I've been told by farmers that we're changing the face of the fruit and vegetable industry. If we can't get workers, then they've stopped raising those particular crops where there is demand, that we're ultimately changing that facet of agriculture simply yep. because we can't get a workforce. So that's not a one-year uh, implication. That's a generational implication. Absolutely. In an era where we're talking so much about, you know, made and produced and grown in America, and that's kind of a, a, you know, a mantra of both, you know, political parties. This one issue on immigration greatly impacts, you know, where a lot of our fresh produce and fruits and vegetables are grown. We have a mantra at the farmer-owned co-ops, which goes something like this. Your fruit and vegetables are going to be handled by foreign workers. The only question is, are those foreign workers going to be here in the U.S. or are they going to be located in another country? In other words, yeah, we can, you know, we can have that immigration policy that some say they want. Uh, no foreign workers in this country hire only Americans. If that happens, then, you know, all of our fruit and vegetable production is going to be somewhere else. It's crazy. Why, why, why in the world would you want to promote that kind of policy? I've heard former Congressman Charlie Stenholm and your former boss, Richard Luger, say, you've got to be careful what you ask for from Congress. You might just get it. So now with a budget that is behind us and tax reform ahead, what are the higher points you see from agriculture? I mean, estate tax get headlines and cash accounting gets headlines. But what's the holistic view of how tax reform can affect farmers and specifically your cooperatives? Well, I think my members and I think the, the farmers that we represent would tell you they don't like our current system of taxation. They are proponents, Jeff, of tax reform, particularly the, the notion of creating more economic growth in this country by allowing people to keep more of their hard-earned dollars to reinvest, whether that's in plants in the city or uh, reinvest in, in operation small businesses in rural America. That is widely supported uh, by my members and the farmers that we represent. I think for us, the big problem, though, is that in the kind of simplified world that Congress is dealing with right now, the current track that they are on, uh, particularly as it relates to the potential elimination of, of what is called the 199 deduction, the farmers of this country will not get tax relief. They will not have more money in their pockets. They will be sending a lot more money to Washington, D.C., totally opposite, totally counter to everyone's stated goals for doing tax reform. Nobody is saying, let's do tax reform so that we can have more money flowing into Washington. No, we want people to keep their money to create economic growth. And the current path that they are on, and you know what we have seen from the, the bill that may be released by the House, we believe farmers and ranchers will be paying significantly more than what they currently do. And it's just unacceptable. You can't take that kind of money out of rural America today given the economic conditions that are out there, and send it to Washington. It just makes no sense. So it's safe to say that in tax reform, if you eliminate the estate tax, that's not the end of the story. No, I think, you know, for uh, some producers out there, that's very, very important, and we support estate tax elimination. But I'm talking about the rank-and-file producers that are out there day in and day out producing food in this country, young, old, modest income, normal income kind of farmers, they're not going to benefit uh, by the estate tax change. They're only going to be paying more tax. 
Texas. And, and, and again, I just, there isn't one member of Congress that I've ever had come up to me and say, Chuck, you know, let's just be honest. Let's raise taxes on farmers. I mean, that would be political suicide, particularly for a Republican. But yet, that is the direction that we're headed, Jeff. And again, I haven't seen it, so I hold out hope that that draft can change. But what we're hearing is that it's going to eliminate the 199 deduction for agriculture and other purposes, and, and that's going to be a tax increase, period. There's nothing else they can do to offset that. Chuck, the Council of Farmer Cooperatives, your, your principal statement suggests the continued support for the 1922 Capra-Volstead Act. Do you see a particular area where this is going to be challenged? Well, we've been having a number of lawsuits, Jeff, uh, of late relative to the Capra-Volstead, and, and the courts are working their way through those. I don't see a fundamental challenge uh, to Capra-Volstead and the right of farmers to, you know, sort of come together to, to market and buy the products that they need. I, I think that's generally safe. Again, I'm more worried about sort of the backdoor challenge to co-ops and, and consequently the backdoor challenge to Capra-Volstead, which is, you know, right in front of us on this tax legislation. If you tax co-ops differently and, and in an adverse way from what you're doing for everybody else, as would be the case if we eliminate the 199 deduction, then you're you're working against co-ops and you, you can't stand up and say, I'm a big Capra-Volstead co-op supporter if you want our tax policy to be different and worse off than what is available to our investor-owned counterparts. You have been in the trenches of writing farm policy, and it looks as though we are close with either the House and or the Senate Ag Committee starting to mark up a new farm bill. In general, are there areas that the nation's cooperatives especially want to see changed or especially want to see continue in a new farm bill? We've got a number of farm bill priorities, Jeff, and I would put to crop insurance in the high end of those priorities. The farmers who own us, you know, they need that stability of crop insurance, you know, in order to be there as a producer year in and year out. So maintaining crop insurance is a big deal for us. As you know as well, the co-ops, one of our challenges that we do for farmers, for our farmer owners that they probably can't do for themselves, is to find and create export markets. And so our export programs like MAP and FMD are uh, important uh, to that effort that we engage in to find markets overseas for our farmers' products. So exports, crop insurance for the stability, these are all very, very important. Obviously, our, we represent a lot of interest in dairy and cotton, and those programs are going to need some special attention. So they need to get going on this because there, there's a lot at stake here, Jeff. I have told a number of groups, and I, I think it bears repeating that probably for this farm bill, one of the most important aspects of it is to get it done on time. That doesn't mean the policy is not important, but these are not economic times where we can have a farm bill sort of languishing out there for years beyond the expiration of these programs. That uncertainty would be very, very harmful given the state of our farm economy. So we need to get this bill done on time, and that's what we're pressing Chairman Conaway and Roberts about is not only the policy, but get it done so farmers know what they're going to be dealing with. I noted Chairman Conaway suggested that no one asks for less money, but there is one proposal that would be added to the farm bill, and that's the call for an FMD vaccine bank. Chuck, from a yeah. farmer cooperative perspective, where does that fit on the wants and needs of agriculture list? Jeff, this is one where we, we might just have to bite the bullet here a little bit and, and sort of do this in the context of a national emergency. 
And that doesn't mean you can ignore the budget altogether, but it, it does put you in a little bit of a different environment when you are dealing with a national emergency, you know, much like a hurricane disaster or something like that. You're not, you know, you're not trying to fit it within a small budget. And th- this is potentially an issue of, you know, very large national consequences if we ever had an outbreak in this country. And I'm inclined to, to think they need to treat it as sort of a national emergency and just simply get this done for the, you know, the sake of health, safety, and wellness of, of all Americans. Well, Chuck Connor, we want to thank you very much for taking time out of a very busy schedule and spending time with us here again on Open Mic. Chuck, it is Open Mic, and you have an open forum. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you having me on today. I, I will just tell you that I think the next few months are very, very important to the future of American agriculture. Obviously, we've got to get this farm bill going and, and, and getting that on track. But this immediate threat to farmers that is uh, being put up there under the guise of tax reform is, is very, very worrisome and troubling. If we do this wrong, farmers, as a result of tax reform, we're going to see their tax bill increase pretty dramatically. And that is just really bad for farmers. It's certainly bad for rural communities that are already facing some fairly difficult economic times. And and we just need to band together as an ag community to make sure that this doesn't happen uh, because, the, you know, it, uh, the unfairness factor is, is just off the charts here. Our thanks to Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Kelly.